Coming up next, please stay tuned for It Is Written, presented by Pastor John Bradshaw. This is It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. Thanks for joining me. The late Charles Colson, special counsel to U.S. President Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal, is probably best remembered for his Christian conversion experience. It took place during the time he stood for trial for his role in the Watergate conspiracy. In later years, he would point out that what he and other Watergate defendants endured as a result of their crimes provided some of the very best evidence for the literal truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The lesson of Watergate, Colson said, is that a lie cannot live for long. Here were 10 of the most powerful men in the United States, Colson said, referring to the leading Watergate conspirators. With all that power, we couldn't contain a lie for two weeks. On that basis, Colson dismissed out of hand the theory of certain ones that the accounts of Jesus' resurrection were a conspiracy perpetuated by his disciples. Take it from one who was involved in conspiracy, who saw the frailty of man firsthand, Colson declared. There is no way the 11 apostles, who were with Jesus at the time of the resurrection, could ever have gone around for 40 years proclaiming Jesus' resurrection unless it were true. Had the New Testament account not been true, he explained, Peter would have been exactly like John Dean, referring, of course, to the White House legal counsel who blew the whistle on the Watergate cover-up. If the apostles' story about the resurrection had begun to unravel as the Watergate cover-up did, Colson maintained that like himself and his fellow Watergate defendants, the apostles would have sold out to save their skins. Let's also try to keep in mind that those Watergate conspirators who in fact were sentenced to prison like Mr. Colson served their prison time in relatively comfortable surroundings. Unlike the disciples of Jesus, all but one of whom died a martyr's death on account of their witness for Christ, the Watergate defendants never even remotely confronted the possibility of death for the conspiracy that they created. That means the disciples of Jesus had every reason to break down and admit the falsity of the resurrection story, if in fact the story was not true. The point is, if the resurrection story is in fact a myth, it's the strangest myth in the history of the human race. Because if the resurrection story is a lie, it's the first time human beings have invented a lie in order to get themselves killed. People tell lies to get themselves out of trouble, not to get themselves into it. Now, some will always come back with the argument that millions of people throughout the history of the world have given their lives for something that turned out to be not true. And that's correct. But when they gave their lives for the lie, they thought the lie was true. They didn't know the lie was a lie. Crusaders, terrorists, Nazis, communists, millions have in fact given their lives for a host of falsehoods. Those who flew airplanes into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center on 9-11 certainly died for a falsehood. But again, they thought the falsehood was true when they died for it. They didn't know it was a falsehood at the time. This is the bottom line with the resurrection story. If, in fact, it's not true, those who invented or just exaggerated the story and went on to deceive millions would have known the story was false when they were faced with a martyr's death. They would have died for a lie they knew was a lie. And who would do such a thing? 
As we continue our series, Great Chapters of the Bible, we're going to look at the literal truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and why it matters for our salvation. The chapter our study will focus on is 1 Corinthians 15, one of the most powerful discussions in all the Bible on the subject of the resurrection. Paul starts this chapter by making it clear just how important this topic is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. In other words, Paul is saying that what he's about to share with them What they and he have believed already is the means of their salvation. He then goes on to speak of the Old Testament foundation for this New Testament truth and the reality of all the witnesses who can verify the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8. It's important to notice that Paul doesn't make up this doctrine of the resurrection, nor the doctrine of Jesus being sacrificed for the sins of humanity. It's the Old Testament scriptures that foretell this decisive event in the sacred story. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah is one of the most powerful forecasts of the sufferings of Christ and how he would die for the whole world. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. The Old Testament even pinpoints the time when Jesus would come to die. The prophet Daniel gives this information in chapter 9 of the book he wrote. In fact, you can see it in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And that's a fascinating study in itself. Now, in a moment, even though the Bible is so plain on this, there are many Christians and even church leaders who don't believe in the resurrection. How could that be? I'll be right back. Death is a cold-hearted mystery that can invade our lives without warning and leave us with questions as big as the loss that we feel. Today's free offer, The Mystery of Death, provides biblical answers for the questions that haunt the topic of death. What happens when we die? Where does our soul go? Is there an afterlife? To discover answers to these questions and many more, call 800-253-3000, write to the address on your screen, or visit iiwoffer.com. Thanks for joining me on It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 15 as part of our ongoing series, Great Chapters of the Bible. Paul is unequivocal in this chapter. Jesus died, he says, and Jesus rose again. 
In fact, when he summarized what the gospel was at the start of the chapter, he made clear that to him, the resurrection is an integral part of the gospel. No resurrection of Jesus, no gospel for the world. And what gives him his confidence? Not only does Paul point back to the Old Testament as the basis for Jesus' mission to die for our sins and rise again, he makes it clear that eyewitnesses can verify the testimony that he's giving. We saw how he reminds his readers that he himself is one of those eyewitnesses. A point the book of Acts records in its account of Paul's conversion. That's Acts 9, 1 through 6. In Paul's listing of the witnesses in 1 Corinthians 15, we find an interesting note that isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament, not even in the four Gospels. We saw how Paul says that Jesus, after his resurrection, was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That's verse 6. Now, you won't find reference to this encounter anywhere else in the Bible. It's like that statement in the book of Hebrews about the time when Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You won't find that incident recounted in the Old Testament story of Moses. It's like the verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which quotes Jesus as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You won't find the saying of Jesus in any of the gospel accounts, but it clearly happened and it's quoted there in the book of Acts. Now, this helps us understand that in order to understand the full truth of the Bible, we have to consider everything it includes regarding a subject or an historical event. Obviously, the story of the 500 seeing Jesus after his resurrection is one of those examples. It was a fact well known to the apostles, and the witnesses in question were obviously still alive, many of them, when Paul wrote this passage to the church at Corinth. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15 to point out that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the faith of the Christian loses all meaning. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's verses 12 to 14 and 16 and 17. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 19 in the King James Version, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But a survey commissioned by the BBC in Great Britain, a survey of Christians in Great Britain, revealed that a quarter of British Christians don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The idea seems to go all the way up to the highest levels of church leadership in Britain. A senior church official acting as his denomination's ambassador to the Vatican City has been quoted as saying that the resurrection of Jesus shouldn't be seen in physical terms, but as a spiritual reality. He said the disciples only felt Jesus' presence after his death, and that what we read in the Gospels isn't an historical record as we would write history today. In other words, the Bible clearly says it, but you can reject it if you wish. In fact, he says, you should reject it. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains why the resurrection is essential to the Christian faith, and why without it, the enemies of the Gospel remain victorious. 
He wrote, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Verses 21 and 22 and 25 and 26. Here we find Paul taking up a theme he explains elsewhere in his writings. In chapter 5 of the book of Romans, he speaks of how the first human being, Adam, was the one who brought sin and death to the world. And that as a result, Jesus has come to this world to make available salvation and life everlasting. In the book of Genesis, death was the first great enemy presented to Adam and Eve. This is why God forbade them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Genesis story tells us that the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2.17 When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and eat of this fruit, it became important that the sin they had committed not become immortalized. It was for this reason that God said they couldn't stay in the garden after the fall in case they should eat of the fruit of the tree of life and make sin last forever. Sin, in other words, must die. And all who cling to sin, according to the Bible, are destined to die along with it. It's Romans 6.23 that says, The wages of sin is death. And once the wicked are forever destroyed in the fires of hell, the Bible tells us what will happen then. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Revelation 21 verse 4. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate guarantee that the final enemy, death, will one day cease to be. That's why Paul describes Jesus as the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. But if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then this hope doesn't exist. The first and final enemy of God's universe death, which the entrance of sin made inevitable, would always be the persistent companion of God's children if Jesus hadn't shown that it could be conquered. Because in fact Jesus has achieved this conquest, we can be certain that his victory over death can be ours as well. Now, was there ever a time that you wished you could do something about your body? Maybe you wish there was less of it. You want to lose weight. You might wish your hair was different or that you had hair. You might wish your back didn't ache or that you could walk again or that you didn't get migraines or that you could see better. Well, if you've ever had a thought like that, I've got good news for you. Paul offers us real hope. I'll tell you more in just a moment. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800 
253-3000. You could visit us online at itiswritten.com. It was like a ticking time bomb just waiting to explode. And when it did, a city was plunged into chaos. A town was completely destroyed. More than 300 people were left dead and thousands left homeless. It remains one of the nation's least known atrocities, yet it was one of the most destructive race riots in United States history. Join It Is Written on location in Tulsa, Oklahoma for Black Wall Street as we look at the problem of evil. We'll investigate the destruction of a community and ask some searching questions. How can this happen? And who would do such a thing? How do good people commit truly wicked acts? Black Wall Street will take you there, to the very streets where evil reared its ugly head in a way not often seen. Don't miss Black Wall Street on It Is Written TV. Thanks for joining me today on It Is Written. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is truly one of the great chapters of the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the writer Paul offers us great hope. He tells us that Jesus has conquered grave and the death. In fact, that through Jesus, death has been destroyed. And he offers you and me real hope on a very practical, tangible level. If you've ever had a backache or a knee ache or a sore throat or a headache or a sore shoulder or a bad back or an accident of some kind, and you've you felt less than satisfied about your physical condition. Now, Paul offers us hope when he tells us that our resurrected bodies will be different from our present natural bodies. And the reason for that is because they will be made to last forever. Starting in verse 40, he writes, There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. The terrestrial body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verses 40, 42, 43, and 44. Now, I do need to point out that while our resurrected body is described as spiritual, This doesn't mean it's not also physical. Jesus made this plain when he appeared to his disciples in his resurrected body in the upper room. And he said to them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Luke 24, 39. 1 Corinthians 15 just has to be included in any list of the great chapters of the Bible. It tells us there is hope beyond the grave. It tells us Jesus conquered sin and death. It tells us we have so much to look forward to. And as the apostle concludes the chapter, he draws back the curtain of the future and tells us how this final victory over death on the part of God's redeemed saints will occur when Jesus comes back to the earth at his second coming. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, 
and this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, that's the grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 51 to 55 and 57. Here Paul gives us a picture of the second coming of Jesus. He's clear that some people will be alive when Jesus returns, which is why he says, we shall not all sleep. But he's equally clear that both the Christians who are raised from the dead and those who are taken to heaven without seeing death will have new bodies. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes this breathtaking event in similar language. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 What a remarkable promise. Death isn't the end because Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who believes in Him and trusts in Him and claims His power and His presence in their life will one day rise again. As Jesus was about to perform what might even be His greatest miracle, raising His friend Lazarus from the dead, He spoke to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, and He said this, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to Him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. John eleven twenty three to 26 This was a theme Jesus reiterated again and again during his ministry. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus said in John 5, starting in verse 28, Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Death is the one human circumstance that not one of us can do anything about. Although people are trying, there are agencies that believe cryonics is the best hope that we have of living forever. Cryonics involves freezing people in liquid nitrogen in the hope that one day science will have advanced to the place where frozen people can be thawed out and revived. Mm, No. Scientists are discussing switching out aging body parts with newer, younger parts so that you might be able to stay at, say, 30 years of age. Mm, No again. No way. Another thing that's being proposed is that your brain could be uploaded to the cloud and then you could download it into an Android body. So they're saying that you could download your brain into an Android, a robot basically, maybe in India, and then you could visit the Taj Mahal without going to India. And when are these things likely to happen? They say maybe 30 or 40 years from now. Again, hmm, no. The good news is God has a better plan. But the old saying is that there are two things that you can't avoid, death and taxes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unique. 
Jesus offers you an end to the tragedy of death once and for all when Jesus returns and establishes his eternal kingdom. In Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all shall be made alive. We're all too familiar with the pain caused by death. The resurrection we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 is the hope of the believer in Jesus. When we farewell a loved one, receive the tragic news that death has taken away another friend, another family member, another child, another parent, another grandparent, no promise shines so brightly as the New Testament assurance that the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, let me ask you, do you have that hope? Jesus offers the hope of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection to everyone who will receive it. That hope can be yours today, the hope of a tomorrow, the hope of a future, the hope of a life beyond this life, the hope of being in a place where there's no more sin and no death, not ever again. And that hope becomes yours when you accept it by faith in Jesus. Can you accept that hope now? Jesus offers it to you now. And it's yours the moment you open your heart and say, thank you, Jesus. I believe it's mine. Death is a cold-hearted mystery that can invade our lives without warning and leave us with questions as big as the loss that we feel. Today's free offer, The Mystery of Death, provides biblical answers for the questions that haunt the topic of death. What happens when we die? Where does our soul go? Is there an afterlife? To discover answers to these questions and many more, call 800-253-3000, write to the address on your screen, or visit iiwoffer.com. Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800-992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 800-992-2219. Let's pray together now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for the hope of the resurrection, a hope that is real not imaginary, not a myth, but real. One day a real Jesus will come back to this real earth and the dead in Christ shall rise. And the dead and the living at the time will all be caught up together in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. We'll always be with you. We'll never age. We'll never get sick. And we'll never die because death will have been destroyed thanks to Jesus. We thank you today for the gospel. Friend, do you have that hope? If you don't, would you invite Jesus to give you that hope now? Would you believe it as yours? Would you claim it as yours? Would you say in your heart, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I believe in and I I gladly accept the hope of the resurrection. Lord, we look forward to it. And we pray with John who wrote Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've been listening to It Is Written, presented by Pastor John Bradshaw. We hope you have been blessed and that your faith in God has been renewed. Join us again next week at the same time on this station for It Is Written with John Bradshaw. This program was produced by It Is Written, all rights reserved. It Is Written is a faith-based ministry. Thank you for your letters and continued support. For more information, please visit our website, itiswritten.com. It Is Written.